Hello and welcome to Cross-Examination, a podcast for curious Christians confronting complicated questions. My name is Kale Prindle. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode four. Thank you so much for inviting me into your ears. That's fantastic. I really appreciate it. It is a privilege uh, to be able to have people listen to things that I make and I assume value my opinions and thoughts on on the topics that are discussed here on cross-examination. I really appreciate it. Um, It's been a couple of weeks since the last uh, upload, so I wanted to take a second to throw this out there just so it is a relief on my own stressors. I have other work and things to do all the time, and every time I want to make something new, I feel this pressure of, you put something out every week. You must, you have to, and like, All of these people will tell you, like, if you don't put something out consistently, you'll never grow the audience. You'll never have the thing. And that stuff bores into my brain and it drives me crazy. Um, So I'm trying to relieve myself of that burden and just let everybody know that I am so thrilled that you would listen to me and, and my own ponderings and everything else going on in my brain. Also... I have no idea how frequently I will put something up, as frequently as I can, but also as frequently as I feel like my brain can handle. The last couple of weeks have been pretty nuts, so I don't even know if I'm apologizing for that or just explaining to set your expectations if you're looking for this every week to just be like, hey, where's, where, where'd Kale go? Who knows? He's probably just passed out somewhere because he's just exhausted. But anyway, um, that's that. That's whatever it's worth. Today, I want to get into something that is really a, oh man, like a cornerstone, a center point, uh, a huge support beam for a lot of Christians. And I come with it with a long history and a lot of baggage. And that is, what in the world does a Christian do with the book of Genesis? in today's modern thought landscape. This is something that's been on my mind for a really, really long time. So we'll get into some of my my background and my history of what I thought and what I believe, um, how that shifted. And ultimately, I think how I can reconcile a modern scientific understanding of our world and of our universe and that seemingly really tricky, complicated idea of Genesis suggesting that the earth is only 6,000 years old. It's a huge issue, huge problem. I know a lot of people struggle with this one. Um, And for many people, they see it as that at least one of the main issues, again, of why people up and walk out of the church. So I definitely wanted to have an episode about this, but I'm also bringing it in with an understanding of this was pretty pretty close to me, fairly personal to me, and it's taken me a long time to sort all these things out. So that's what we're in for. Thank you so much for being here with me for this. So let's just get to the good stuff. So if you've listened to the other episodes, I frequently start everything by admitting, confessing, or just explaining that my background is in a very conservative Christian context, which includes, among a lot of other things, biblical literalism. 
this specific podcast, this episode, I don't want to get into biblical literalism. I don't want to get into the inerrancy of scripture. That'll be a whole separate thing that we'll get into sometime. But that is my background. So my church, my family, my schools that I went to throughout my entire life had a pretty simple idea, which was if the Bible says that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. And to deviate away from that at all is dangerous. It is a lack of faith. It's this doubt that might be all-consuming and totally mess you up in the long run. And that's where I'm coming from on this issue, which is not very surprising. Um, so let's go into some of that stuff. Um, one of my earliest memories that related to the book of Genesis was some kind of like mini convention in my hometown. And I remember our entire school, it felt like at least, went to this convention center where a lot of people had set up things and they were selling books and they were doing presentations on how old is the world. And because I was at a Christian school, the only reason we were there is because I assumed all of it was promoting the idea that the world is 6,000 years old. It was created the same way that it is depicted in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And I was immediately sat down and told this very simple phrase to use as an argument against anybody who would suggest that the world is millions of years old. And that phrase was very simple. It was three words. Were you there? That was it. I remember we ended up buying a book from that convention and it was like about dinosaurs and Noah's Ark and the flood and, and how old is everything. And I remember pictures of this scientist looking guy at a chalkboard and it's like, millions of years old it was written on there and he had underlined it but there was a silhouette of this student who raised his hand and said well were you there and the teacher professor scientist guy looking very uncomfortable because obviously he wasn't there and it, it created the beginning for me not of distrust in science and not a distrust of scientists specifically but when it came to how old the earth was and some of the scientific technology that went into it basically this seemed like a logical stronghold that science was not able to penetrate for for decades afterwards and so that were you there mentality you know we carbon dating and anything else that they use now to detect and determine how old the earth is how old rocks are how old organisms are all of that stuff I don't know when that first came into the social consciousness, but my church talked about it all the time. How reliable is it? Can we trust it? I don't think we can. There's no way to know for sure. Uh, then you got into like, you know, atomic half-lives and stuff like that. And then it was the same argument all over again. It's like, well, this element has a half-life of, and it'd be like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years or thousands or whatever it was. And there's like, well, nobody can be around to really keep track of that. So this whole thing is probably a lie or a conspiracy or something. So 
I remember a few other things from this convention and from the book that we bought. It was the idea like dinosaurs, yeah, they existed. Um, they just didn't make it on the ark, or at least not the big ones. The small ones did. That's why we have probably alligators and crocodiles and other things that look like what we thought dinosaurs looked like, or at least what we thought they looked like in the early 90s. Because now they have feathers. My brain still has a hard time with it. I know why we say it, but my child brain is still like, but I need dinosaurs to be more reptilian. Anyway, that's a whole separate thing that's not important right now. Um, but yeah, dinosaurs on Noah's Ark. Well, some of them were with those that could fit. And there's this explanation for what seemed like everything. The flood, by the way, we'll come back here in just a moment because that's a big part of this. So the rest of my childhood, I remember going to museums and natural history museums, which I don't think I fully realized actually until like the last year or two, what natural history museums really were and what they were about. Like my family would go on the weekends and we just went because the displays were amazing and oh, there's animals and God created animals. So this is a really awesome, holy church-like activity. And that was cool. And they'd have a gigantic T-Rex skeleton. We're like, that's so cool. And then we would look at the plaque or whatever educational, you know, written thing was there. And it would say like, you know, this creature existed 160 million years ago. Or, or would actually, let's see, T-Rex, probably just 60 million. I do not have notes on my different... Um, different eras of, of natural history. So uh, forgive me on that one. But I remember this is my thing that I'm going with. Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's the worst science ever. Jurassic Park, the original trailer and movie poster. I want to say we're like, you know, an adventure 60 million years in the making. So I'm going with 60. So I'm like 60 million years ago for a T-Rex. And I would literally look to the rest of my family and we'd all kind of like give each other a knowing glance and be like, yeah, right millions of years ago because we had this insider information called the Bible. Um, and that was my approach for pretty much everything related to how old the earth is. The idea of evolution via natural selection did not exist in my mind. It didn't exist in my vocabulary. Instead, I was loaded up with arguments against it. Uh, simplistic ones like if humans evolved from monkeys, why do we still have monkeys? Um, which of course is is a sign, you know, this is not really what the podcast is going to be about, but of course that's a sign of somebody who does not understand the argument that is evolution via natural selection. So my family and I would go to these museums and we'd be amazed by, you know, look at those creatures and look at these animals and isn't this all cool? And, and it was, and we loved it. And, and we still felt closer to some kind of divinity and we felt closer to something that was, you know, the source of life. But we couldn't do it without this cynical view on these dumb scientists think everything is millions of years old. Then I get to high school. And if you think this is where I start changing my mind on all of this, you're wrong. Because high school just doubled down on it some more. Our biology class, my sophomore year, I remember we had a section of the, of the year where we talked specifically about creation and evolution. I don't remember learning a thing about evolution. Not a thing. I don't think they actually taught us any. Um, but we did spend time talking about like why evolution was a threat to Christianity and why Christianity would be right. 
and I remember in this video, this little cartoon and in these two castles on the other, either side of a valley, and they had different flags up about their beliefs and, and what they are and, and, and what people think. And they would shoot cannonballs like across the valley at each other's flags, like, oh, they're knocking down our beliefs. So the, the Christian creation-based castle is lobbing its uh, cannonballs over at that castle and knocking down its beliefs like selfishness and greed and, and take all those things out because those are evil things that evil people believe. But the other castle, the, I don't know that it was called atheist castle, but <laughs> why not? The atheist, scientific, evolutionary, big history castle uh, would have launched cannonballs back at the creation-based Christianity castle, but it did not take aim at its flags. It didn't shoot down its beliefs. Instead, it shot at its foundation. It shot at the very bottom of the castle, which of course was labeled like a like a political cartoon, and it just said, creation and the cartoon was trying to say like when you lose creation you lose your whole castle you lose your your flags you use your beliefs you lose everything and i remember this all culminated in a creation evolution debate sponsored by the biology teacher um and so the class split up i think we were just assigned roles i don't think we chose them necessarily and he would provide each side like, hey, here's some stuff for you to consider, practice arguing uh, and how you would debate this, which as a teacher, it's kind of a great thing, like the debate side of that, like here's information, use this to debate each other. Um, but the whole thing was this practice for going against and fighting against a theory of evolution. The funniest part for me, by the way, was I remember starting that debate and I was defending Christianity. I was defending creationism. And we did our whole debate. And then in the last like five or 10 minutes, the teacher's like, all right, everybody switch sides. And we didn't know he was going to do that. And so all of a sudden we had to like pick up all the arguments that we thought would work for the other side and throw them back. And I remember feeling this joy of like going to the evolution side and picking up these weird like pictures and diagrams and timelines and some weird x-ray of something, I don't even remember what, and like being able to spin around and like throw my own questions back at the creationist side and they didn't know how to defend it themselves and I thought that was so fun and so interesting. But fun and interesting it might be, um, I didn't change my beliefs on it. I still didn't think evolution was thing and I'm looking at my timer and I'm already 15 minutes in this is going to be a long episode potentially so buckle up here we go so at this point I do want to stop and, and think about like so why did I keep hanging on to this why, why did it matter to me and of course like most things you grow up in a context you grow up in a culture and they just give you stuff and they say this is the way it is and you say okay and that's sometimes as far as it goes and they give you reasons they give you some things that are logical and they make sense and you're like that sounds like a good argument i'll use it and they prep you to have debates with people most of which you will never have actual debates with because in my experience most people aren't interested in having debates they want to know what you think they want to know what you believe they are not that interested in robbing you of your religion my experience why is genesis why is the literal six-day creation, so important to Christians. So I think it boils down to this. This is why people cling to it 
so hard for so long. The story in Genesis, not even the first chapter. The first chapter is God creates the entire world, creates light and water and land and plants and animals all in sequence. And, and that's not the part that I think matters too much for Christians. What does matter is what happens in the next two chapters. When you have humans introduced in the Garden of Eden and they disobey God and they lose paradise. For people who look to the Bible for understanding of the world, Genesis provides a narrative, a story that you kind of have all your beliefs embedded into. If we fast forward to Jesus and his life and the crucifixion and what that means theologically for taking on the sins of people, making us feel, not feel worthy, making us worthy, making us perfect again in the eyes of God, erasing all of the garbage and all of the junk that was our lives before that, none of that sacrifice makes any sense at all if you don't have that first story in Genesis. If there is no initial fall, then there's not a reason to have that redemption. That's how I always heard it growing up. So when, when people get defensive about how old the world is and, and how long it took to make it, it's, it's not even the numbers, I don't think. It was for me for a good chunk of it, but I don't think that's the main core. The main core is that you take away that first story in Genesis and it kind of dings up and damages the narrative for the entire story of Christianity. And if you start taking that out, then it's kind of like what I talked about in the first episode in ruptured wineskins. Like, then why are we doing all of this? And when you threaten that aspect for people, they feel so uncomfortable and so insecure. And they're like, I don't know what to do. So they just defend whatever they can defend. Now, I think there's probably more to it than that. But for me, that was kind of the main piece. Like, if you take out creation and we don't have a first set of humans and you don't have that first original taking of the fruit and you don't have that first disobedience, then, then what's the rest of the story even about? And so it took me a really long time to kind of shed some of that. Here's a few things that sometimes moved me away from it and sometimes made me double down. So I have an older brother. He's very, very smart. And he was the only person in our family who would look at things in the Bible and say, no, no, that doesn't add up. And so we'd talk about the flood and, and we would read Detective Zach books, which is hysterical because that's also my brother's name. And um, so Detective Zach, the first episode is this investigator who's going to prove that the flood was real, which proves the Bible is real. And and my older brother would always just look at flood stuff. He's like, no, because science, like our scientific ways of thinking and learning and understanding the entire world show us that these things don't add up and these things don't work. And he became like the one person in our family. Like we weren't sure how to deal with him, I think. I know for me, 
it was like, I love you, man, but I just think you're wrong. And I would tell him that because that was something that the church also always taught us to do is when, when somebody was out of line or wasn't thinking correctly, you just, you just have to tell them, you just have to correct them. <laughs> poor Zach, man, I, I did this to him numerous times, like, I lived with him for one semester in college and in in that kind of college era part of it I had to have been insufferable because like well don't you think you should be doing this thing and it's like dude shut up anyway maybe he didn't feel like that (laughs) I would feel like that that's how I feel about me now anyway so but he was a guy when I lived with him for that semester I remember we went to a creation museum I don't know if you've ever been to one of these things for the space I was in at the time it was kind of fascinating to see how these people had created something that certainly appeared scientific to prove that the Bible's not wrong and the Bible's not crazy. There's just, there's other ways of looking at it that that the, these other scientists hadn't considered. Like, so something for my brother is he would look and he's like, dude, those stars right now above our heads are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of light years away and because I didn't know anything about science I'd be like and why does that matter and then he would explain if we can see the light from that star it means that light has been traveling for hundreds of thousands maybe millions of years just so that light could get to us and we can see it so if God didn't create the stars until day four of creation and that was only 6,000 years ago, we should not be able to see stars that are hundreds of thousands and millions of light years away. The math doesn't add up. And I think at the time, I was like, okay, whatever you say, man. So the Creation Museum talked about this specifically, and they suggested a completely new theory, which is not in the Bible. They just like, this would work, right? And that is that God made the universe small, so everything was close together and then expanded it really quickly. And so the light we see just looks like it's been traveling for hundreds of thousands. It was actually used to be closer and then it was stretched out so we can still see the light. But now they're hundreds of thousands and, and millions of light years away, which as I say it right now, and I can't believe I've never thought about this before, that is literally the Big Bang. That's the rapidly expanding singularity that they're just saying God did it. And then it expanded rapidly. And so we have all this light. And that's hysterical. I'd never thought about that before. It was literally the Big Bang Theory. Just with a different timeline. That's funny. Huh. <laughs> that's great. Anyway, so Zach was always a guy who would question and challenge. And, and I didn't know how to handle it. So I was just like, whatever, man. Bible says it must be true. And I just held on to that. Because as I said, again, in, in ruptured wineskins, you either dismiss it or you double down. And I doubled down for decades. Other things that would happen. I remember my first job, I was teaching and I was talking with somebody. And they were talking about another one of our uh, colleagues, another teacher there. And in a conversation, they referred to this other teacher's. Oh, yeah, they're one of those people that thinks that the world is only 6,000 years old. And that phrase of one of those people, if you've ever been part of a group that's ever been called one of those people, you know that that stings and feels awful and weird. But again, I was still hanging on to a lot of my Christian roots, and I doubled down and I said, hey, I'm one of those people. They said, really? I said, yeah, why not? 
And my my reasoning, which I still think makes pretty decent sense, which is, is a miracle a miracle is a miracle any way you slice it. And so the person I was talking to, as far as I know, is was a Christian. And I said, if you're looking throughout the Bible and you get to like the stories of Jesus and and Jesus changes water into wine, he's able to somehow impossibly completely change these elements on like at their molecular structure, I guess. And like all of a sudden it was water and now it is wine. And if people are like, yeah, I believe that, then there's no difference between the craziness of something like that and the craziness of a world that could be made in six days and is only 6,000 years old. It's the same thing. It is just as believable or just as unbelievable. And where I was at that time, it was just as believable. So, what about now? I'm like 25 minutes into this darn thing and I haven't even started on my main idea. Oh my goodness, that was like 20 minutes of background. Oh, thank you for listening, people. I really appreciate it. So, here's my main thing for today. All of mine, like their entireties have only been this long, but I feel like if I made it a part one, it'd be like so anticlimactic. So we're gonna keep going. I'll try to wrap it up in the next 10. We'll see. So here we go. Now, every time I read from Genesis, I'm like struck by how difficult it is to read it without my brain being bombarded by debate and controversy. Part of that controversy, of course, is that, you know, we understand the world and universe to be very different than the way Genesis presents it. And the other part of the controversy for me is like, I really am tired of Christians being raked over the coals for having a thing that they believe in. Even if, yeah, according to how we understand the way the universe works, doesn't make a lot of sense. Still, I feel like young earth creationists are probably some of the most made fun of groups of people in the country right now. And there's so many other things to divert and aim your energy at that I just, I wish that would stop. I wish we'd be nice to people. Why can't we be nice to people? All right, whatever. So what do we do with Genesis? I've got this controversy, I've got this debate, and, and actually I think that what Genesis can do, this is how I've reclaimed it for myself. I think it provides us a way of seeing the world that can actually validate Christian beliefs and also free us entirely from all the frustrations and ridicule that are that we're often <laughs> dealing with when we're talking about the beginning of everything. Um, I think that there might be a way to transcend a lot of the noise and conflict and debate and, and find something fresh in this creation story. So I got two things that I kind of want to focus on here. First, and I'm totally stealing this from somebody else. So this is my, nope, didn't come up with this part. Got it from someone else part. Um, and it'll also be the first glimpse of like, so who are the people you listen to and read a lot? And where are all these ideas coming from? Here's one. So Mike McCarg, also known as Science Mike on the internet and for people who listen to his podcast. Uh, if you're not familiar with who this guy is, here's the basic short version of his story. He was a die-hard um, Southern Baptist, believed the Bible as the Bible said things were, but through a series of events, he completely lost all of his faith, went hard atheist for a handful of years, never told anyone about it. He just kind of kept living his Christian life just as like an undercover atheist type guy. Uh, 
And then after a handful of years, had an experience that kind of brought back a lot of those old ideas and feelings. And then he kind of had to rebuild a lot of what he believes. But all of that being said, yes, he feels that there is a mystical, divine something in the universe. And he loves that. And he's really big on Jesus. He also completely relies on scientific findings and so if it's like if there's evidence for it that's what makes sense so i hang on to it so basically if science says so he starts there first so i went and i saw him at an event a few years ago and not surprisingly genesis to him is a it's a a creation myth it's just like a lot of the other creation myths from the ancient world Uh, but he does point out a few important distinctions first Many of those creation stories depict the world as being created through chaos and violence. Um, So you can look at ancient Mesopotamia and you've got Marduk battling Tiamat and he bashes her head in and rips her body apart. And so her body segments then become like the cornerstones of the world, which is, you know, kind of nice and weird. and, And of course, for a biblical literalist, that concept is so gross and so barbaric it's like seriously we're like hanging out on the guts and entrails and torso of a fallen god and um so that's not great but genesis science mike would argue is is important because it does a completely different kind of thing with how it creates its deities and how it presents the idea of god instead of establishing the world through conflict and chaos and battle the god of genesis is peaceful He's a creator, not a destroyer, and he crafts the world one day at a time. So here's why this is a big deal for me. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of outlines on what God's powers are. Like with as many superhero movies as we have and comic book characters and all this other stuff, like we're always like, wait, what is what are their powers and what can they do? And so we're always trying to outline what they can and can't do. God doesn't have that given to us in the Bible, so we just kind of make stuff up it seems and and here was my understanding of how god made stuff he says it and it happens that's how i was taught uh you know he's a lot of things in christianity he's a super being he's all powerful he's all knowing and he's all good and and we see god without limits so isn't it weird that if we feel like he could just speak something into existence why does it take six days which is still super short like that's not like that's still crazy but it's longer than it should take if all he had to do was be like world and the world would be there why take a full week to get all this done um so genesis doesn't give us a sense that god works in this way of just like speaking and there it is even if we as christians often say that he can and that's part of what we've kind of built into the idea of our God, uh, even if he could explode the world into being, he doesn't. He takes his time. He adds a new element every day. And that's really cool. And um, there's no reason for that aside from, this is back to the Mike McCarg stuff again, the idea of God carefully building the world is such a helpful idea. It's a peaceful idea. It's a God who takes his time and wants to create something that's really good and you have that all throughout those first chapters of genesis that and god said that it was good he's not haphazard he's not just like 
throwing stuff to the wall and hoping something sticks. He's crafting and creating. That's really cool. And for me, it's really helpful to think about it in this way because it kind of trivializes the debate of timelines and origins. So whether the universe is 6,000 years old or 13.8 billion years old that started with a rapidly expanding singularity, the point is God works through taking his time and by making small changes to what he's already built. So if day one is he creates light and day two is air and in day three we get land and vegetation and, and all these things kind of build up on each other. We have a thing, now we keep adding to it. That's something we learn about God. And that's a thing that works about God regardless of how old something is. So when I consider a God that takes his time, I come away with with a metaphor of how God works with all of us. So just like the earth, people start out in life as this formless void. We have no real identity and, and we aren't self-sustaining. We're just these weird, you know, identity blobs just waiting to find out what we're going to become. But slowly, every day goes by and gives us something new to help us become vibrant, lively people. And as I think about spirituality, the creation story kind of gives me that perspective. And, 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 and I love it. It's really cool because, I mean, how often have I been irritated at myself for not being a better person? How often have I had like these euphoric spiritual experiences and then I return to the normalcy of everyday living? How many times have I been annoyed that God and all of his infinite infinity, like, didn't respond to something I prayed over. It's not a new idea that people are frustrated and impatient with the with how long God takes to do something. And so it's kind of funny that one of the biggest debates in Christianity is how long God took to do something. When I look at Genesis, what I see is an opportunity for God to take shortcuts, but he doesn't do it. He could have delivered the universe the way Apple like delivers a MacBook. It's already assembled. It's ready for use. Like, and you can't take it apart unless like you completely dismantle it with tiny screwdrivers or just like smash it with a hammer. And that's also funny to me because that's kind of what we do with our faith a lot of the times. Like, whatever we thought about the origins of the world, which or any aspect of faith, really, we're just tiny screwdrivers picking away at it and sometimes we just come in and and smash the whole darn thing but god doesn't give us a pre-built world instead god plans and places pieces that progress toward a bustling global ecosystem he doesn't skip over anything he creates light then air then land and then vegetation then living creatures think about that message as an introduction to a new way of life. Think about Genesis in terms of when you look at your own world, your own life, and say, all right, I want to start something new. I want to try something different. This walk begins more slowly than you might expect. It will take time and there will be mistakes. The creation of you and this life, becoming a better, more loving, compassionate, Christ-like person, doesn't happen in a flash. Maybe it starts with a little light. 
than some fresh air perspective before finding something more solid to put your feet on that will support new life. That's more amazing and grace-filled than just arguing about how old something is. Issues of faith sometimes get boiled down to arguments about whether or not something is literally true. And in those arguments, we lose valuable insights about our lives and the nature of God. And it's funny to me that I used to love arguments and debates and, and finding the ways to shut people up because I thought making people know they were wrong was somehow a glorification of an all-loving God. I don't know exactly when that changed. When I stopped worrying about being secure in my rightness. When I stopped being afraid of another person's point of view. But it happened. Because I am the world. Shifting. Moving. Changing. Not as a dramatic flash. But slowly. Incrementally. With much grace one day at a time. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this. As you could probably tell, I, I still have a lot of baggage with this one. There's still a lot to, to figure out. I've got a long history of thinking about the world in one way, and even though I'm finding new ways to, to think about it, new ways to talk about it, it's not easy. And again, that's, that's why the podcast is here. I, I don't want to call it necessarily my own my own therapy and my own like airing out of my dirty laundry or anything but that's part of what you'll get here you're going to get the perspectives of a guy who's just trying to figure it out and i've spent a long time doubling down on ideas and a long time fighting and debating people and i'm, I'm missing out on something when i do that so i'm tired of trying it so i really appreciate you being here thank you so much um let me know what you think you can throw something at me on Twitter at crossexamcast. Uh, that would be great. Or leave comments on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Anything like that would be helpful. Uh, my music is by bensound.com. So appreciate that. Hooray for royalty-free stuff. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Farewell, good people. <laughs>